Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 90 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to talk about something that is very um, passionate to me. We're going to be talking about rotator cuff repairs and post-operative you know, considerations. I think that, you know, it's uh, it seems like there's so much talk about things like, you know, ACL repairs and, and pre-op treatment of ACLs and knees and all of this stuff. Uh, to be totally honest with you, treating ACLs is a cinch. All right. It is very, very easy to get somebody better um, with an ACL reconstruction. The rehabilitation process, in my opinion, is quite simple. Here in our clinic, we probably see 25 rotator cuff repairs to every one ACL that is done. Um, so we see many, many more rotator cuffs. But one of the things we find is that, um, you know, rotator cuff repairs are, are technical and the rehab behind it um, is even more technical. Uh, it is much easier to re-tear a rotator cuff after it's been repaired um, than it is to re-tear an ACL. It's um, it's something that we need to be very cautious with. So today we're going to talk about five or six different things that we should really look at after a patient has had a rotator cuff repair and um, you know some of the um, post-operative complications to avoid. So before we do that though I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, Mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech, all-terrain, chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider Sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days, thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent, Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. To find out more, visit EasyGliderSocks.com. That's EasyGliderSocks.com. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit EasySlant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. Welcome back, everybody. So today we're going to talk about some of the considerations that we should really remember when uh, we get started with a patient after they have rotator cuff surgery. Um, we see so many of these and uh, patients are, are miserable. They have a lot of discomfort. One of the things that happens is, you know, a patient goes in, they have surgery, and after surgery, they have very little guidance. Um, and I see this all the time. This is, is not the surgeon's fault. It's not the patient's fault. Um, but the nature of having a rotator cuff repair is a little different than total knee and total hip replacements where those folks have surgery. They're uh, guided by a therapist, a nurse, uh, the physician in the hospital. They may end up going home and having home care therapy where they have uh, you know therapists there, nurse 
resources there and they have guidance. Maybe they'll go to a skilled care facility. They'll have guidance there also on what to do, when to do it, hit precautions, um, you know, range of motion, how to use a CPM, whatever it might be. They're very well guided. When oftentimes people who have rotator cuff repairs, even total shoulder replacements or other shoulder procedures have, um, you know, they're sent home with a little series of exercises, maybe on a piece of paper. They're not sure um, how to take the sling off, if they can take the sling off. I've seen people come into my office eight weeks after surgery and for the first time take off the sling. Um, and, you know, oftentimes they don't change their shirts uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it becomes an issue. So, what we want to do is we want to try to get these folks feeling more comfortable after surgery, but more importantly, as we start them in therapy, we need to make sure that uh, we don't compromise that repair, all right? You need to remember that oftentimes that tissue, uh, you know, that they repair is not always nice and leathery like, you know, like when we're 18 years old, um, where you can really fix that onto the bone or, um, you know, uh, get good purchase when you are uh, fixing that. Sometimes it's like repairing wet toilet paper. So you need to be very, very cautious that you don't re-tear that cuff. So the first thing you need to do when your patient comes into your office or is going to be coming to your office after a rotator cuff repair is you need to get the operative report. I get all operative reports on um, all of my rotator cuff patients because oftentimes the order might say, rotator cuff reconstruction, begin physical therapy or follow protocol. Now, not all rotator cuffs are are repaired the same way. Each surgeon has different techniques. Um, each tear is different. They're so, so different. Each patient's healing process can be different. So, you know, you have to take all of those things into consideration before you start rehabbing these folks. Um, if they are a smoker, the, the rehabilitation is usually slower. The healing is slower. So I'm a little more conservative with these folks, and I may go a little bit slower before I start to activate that rotator cuff afterwards. So I always get the operative report because let's say somebody has a subscapularis repair and that is kind of uncommon. Usually it's a supraspinatus, infraspinatus repair. Um, you're not going to want to ream on external rotation or start some internal rotation actively um, after surgery. So you could damage these cuffs. So make sure you check that out. You understand um, if they've had uh, biceps tenodesis or uh, tenotomies or what kind of repair it was. Okay, so get that operative report. That is key. All right. Number two, know what stresses the repairs. Okay, so actively, how can they stress that repair and passively, what stresses that repair so that if you're stretching a patient, you're not re-tearing that, uh, that repair, okay? That is very, very important. This is where I've seen um, young therapists uh, have, a, have a tough time and or, um, you know, have a bad outcome with patients because they just don't take the time to treat these people individually and overstress that repair and end up uh, re-tearing, um, which can be devastating for the patient. The surgeon is not happy because uh, they've done a lot of work to uh, get this fixed the right way. Um, number three, you want to prevent adhesive capsulitis. I'm a big advocate of getting patients 
in early after uh, surgery. There are um, some surgeons out there who are very apprehensive about sending their patients to therapy because they've had bad experiences, because uh, they've done all this work and a therapist has retorn or ruptured uh, the rotator cuff, and uh, therefore they have the patient stay in their sling, stay at home, and don't really do anything for up to six to eight weeks, and I see this often. Most of these people end up with adhesive capsulitis, even if they are not high-risk patients like diabetics and people with thyroid problems. Um, And so you want to prevent adhesive capsulitis. So early passive range of motion is important, okay? Um, You know, you got to be cautious about doing pendulum exercises with folks because people don't really know how to do them, and there are pretty good studies out there showing that patients actually activate their rotator cuff early um, and can cause some problems. So um, you need to make sure you certainly guide these people uh, when they're doing that. So when they start to lose motion in all positions, internal, external rotation, flexion and abduction, they become very stiff. And when you passively stretch them, they start hiking that shoulder, not because um, they're trying to uh, fight you, but because the capsule is so tight is just elevating that scapula also. Um, so Early range of motion is important to making sure that you understand which tissues um, get stressed with passive range of motion. Number four, this you need to remember, all protocols are different. All surgeons are different. All surgeons have different techniques. All tears are different, okay? So if your patient comes with a protocol, you need to respect that surgeon's program, Okay, um, follow that protocol, but remember that if you start to see some complications uh, like stiffness, tightness, lack of activation, uh, you need to get in touch with that uh, surgeon and say, I'm kind of concerned uh, with this. Um, but you want to make sure that you respect those protocols. Um, I, I've seen uh, extremes uh, from no passive range of motion for eight weeks to uh, passive range of motion on the day of surgery up to 180 degrees of flexion every day for 10 days. Um, so protocols are all different. Number five, you want to recognize complications early, okay? If you find that they're developing stiffness early on or maybe they have uh, an infection, they're developing a fever, there's drainage at the uh, portals or the incision, you want to make sure that you contact the physician right away to uh, address these things early on. Don't let them linger. Uh, Don't let patients go through a weekend uh, like that. Um, You know, it's always better to be safe than sorry, You also want to look at lack of uh, rotator cuff activation. You know, you start getting into week three, four, and you're starting to do some very, very light submaximal isometrics, and they're just not giving you the resistance that you'd like to see, or it's getting a little uh, sloppy. You know, give it a little bit of time. Sometimes they can have a hard time activating because of inflammation, but you get into six to eight weeks, they really should start to be able to turn some of that cuff on a little bit. Um, You know, so uh, connect with a physician. Sometimes there are other problems. The patient could have sustained a disc injury, um, nerve root compression at the cervical spine, or things like a suprascapular nerve injury. I've seen this before um, where patient maybe had a fall, hit the scapula quite hard, tore the rotator cuff, and damaged the suprascapular nerve. Um, sometimes EMGs can help sort that out uh, so that um, you know you know that it will take a long time for them to start to activate again. So folks, I know I gave you a lot of information today, but I think that it's very uh, important that you uh, sit down, you look at operative reports after rotator cuff repair, you have a good working relationship with the physician so that um, you understand you know, what their expectations are. 
It's important you give the patient expectations so that they know um, how long a recovery this can take so that uh, they're on board with you and they uh, stick with the program. Uh, So along with this, in the show notes today, uh, I'm going to throw in uh, some links to um, our playlist. We we have a three-day post-op shoulder program. I like to teach patients. I send them to this um, uh, YouTube channel often on how to uh, put a shirt on, take it off, how to take the sling off, which is totally okay um, as long as the patient does it the right way how to shower with it how to sleep with the sling and how to take care of themselves after shoulder surgery so I think that's very important for patients to see Um, you can forward that link over to your patients they can check it out also Uh, I'll also put my link to our uh, shoulder special tests in our playlist and also a link to our um, shoulder injuries. I've got about 42 videos of different shoulder injuries, how we manage them, how we evaluate them. And, um, you know, uh, just so you can see some real patients with real issues and uh, you'll be able to uh, piece that all together. So, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's show. Lots of information here. Um, I know it uh, may be overwhelming sometimes. That's why it's a podcast. You just take it, rewind it, go over it again if you want. Um, check out some of the stuff on our YouTube channel at OrthoEvalPal. And um, if you have any questions, contact me at paul at OrthoEvalPal.com. And I'll do my very best to answer your questions and or put up a podcast on a topic that uh, you're interested in or maybe you're having some trouble with. That's, you know, really what you should should do. Um, I go to courses not on topics that I am very, um, you know, good with. I go to courses that are challenging. I break open the book on a daily basis. I look for information that I may not see very often. Um, And so uh, that's important that uh, you continue to learn, especially if you're going to be in therapy and uh, make sure that you don't lose those skills. Um, So again, thank you all. I hope you have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.